Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. was a big series um you know we, we heard the chatter um we understand the schedule um you can't do anything about the schedule except to go out there and play it and play it to the best of your ability and, and we did that this series um very solid team on the other side we took two out of three took the series we went six and one on the homestand i don't think you can ask for, for a better homestand than that so off day tomorrow we'll regroup and uh, let's start all over unfortunate that we fell short today but um, I mean, hell, we were on an eight-game win streak. It was, it was really, it was really special, and uh, to come off that, um, and we just came off a loss, and I think it was what Pittsburgh, and we haven't lost since Pittsburgh. So I mean, that's it's pretty damn good. Um, so I, I think that um, regardless of today, I mean, we have a ton of momentum going into this road trip, and um, I mean, I'm excited. I'm really excited, and um, I just need to turn the page and um, get better and. Um, Come ready to play in Atlanta. Mets are amazing, 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 amazing. There's a fly ball hit out to left, waiting is Jones. The Mets are the world champion. Here's the one, two, three. Check him out. Steve has 19 strikeouts. Swung on, hit on the ground towards first.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, August the 11th, 2019. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. Welcome to another edition of the podcast. Uh, coming at you fast and furious the last couple of weeks as the Mets between the trade deadline and this uh, great wild card run that we're currently experiencing. And what a wild, fun, and probably the most entertaining regular season games that the Mets have played maybe in three or four years what we just saw uh, at City Field the last three days between the Mets and the Nationals. Joining us in just a little bit, who is there live for all three games, a good friend who we always like to go to when we want to get some in-clubhouse perspective. It's our friend from 98.7 ESPN, Rich Catino. He'll join me in just a little bit as uh, we recap this series and the homestand and uh, the road trip that uh, is coming up in Atlanta and Kansas City. And Despite the fact that I'm sure all of you, as you listen to this podcast, are disappointed and frustrated and maybe ready to talk a little bit about Edwin Diaz, which we will get into, I think it's important to start out first by saying what a fantastic job the fans did at City Field this weekend, making it, and even Steven Strasburg brought this up on Friday, making it an incredible home field advantage for a baseball game. I mean, baseball obviously has the best home field advantage that you have in any sport because the bottom of the ninth. But it sometimes doesn't really matter because it's a sport that's so much about individual performance and the crowd could play into it, but I'm not sure, with the exception of maybe some moments in the postseason and even then, if you execute and you really block out all that, in a lot of ways, a professional player, similar to tennis, they block a lot of this stuff out. So it's not like the NBA with the energy and maybe the physicality of the game or the NFL with the physicality of the game. Uh, some of that uh, amps you up and, and gets you into it. I mean, the NBA is probably the ultimate home uh, court advantage, home field advantage. And I mean, even sometimes that's been changing over the last few years uh, in the playoffs and what have you. But what Mets fans did this weekend, they truly showed that they were a 10th man on the field. And you heard that video that was going viral uh, over Twitter on Saturday, how pumped the fans were on Friday. Probably one of the best regular season games, like I said, we've seen certainly all year, maybe in the last two or three years. And uh, and then again Saturday, I mean, a loud crowd for August. And I, I have to say, I've been critical of the fan base for some of the whininess and the negativity and I've been to plenty of Mets games where when you go into the ballpark, it almost you feel like the fans are ready to lose. And I do believe negative energy can sometimes have an impact on the team. And I know there are some of you in the, the audience that are probably going, what? What is he saying? Has he lost his mind? But yes, I mean, you probably have been to some games, whether it be at Shea 
or City Field with the bad energy, the bad karma, the nervous energy. Uh, really, you could probably point to as uh, you know something that played into um, um, you know the team losing. I remember down in 07 and 08, some of those late September games. I mean, the crowd was just not into it. After 06, it was almost like 06 was so deflating that the fans changed so much and uh, really didn't recover and come back until 2015. And then the last couple of years, they've been dormant. And and maybe even earlier this season, dormant, outside of opening day or maybe the the first uh, you know homestand of the season. It's almost like they've been waiting to see, well... Should we emotionally invest? And I think that's the thing about Mets fans. They don't, they they love their team. They're loyal. They'll be negative beyond belief, but they want to emotionally invest at a high level. And whatever reason, maybe it was the way the doubleheader went down. The minute they got that last out of the second game against the Marlins and they went above 500, it's almost like a switch went on and the fans are like, no, now this is real. And I know we've been talking about a wild card race even before then. I mean, how they, they played in Chicago and Pittsburgh. But it was almost like that doubleheader was the bell that went off. And then you saw as the uh, the week went on, even in the games against the Marlins, even the day game, the business person special, the old business person special, they call it, the place was loud. The fans were into it. And then Friday really topped the cake. And yesterday was was incredible. And and even today, I mean, if Ramos's ball is a couple of inches above Parra's head and, and the Mets, you know, get a couple of runs and maybe if that bad call uh, strike three on JD Davis doesn't happen, maybe we're talking about something completely different, but I think it's important how, how good you guys did. And I've been the, one of the biggest, and I get torched sometimes on Twitter about being critical about Mets fans. It's almost like you could criticize anybody, GM front office, players, media, but once you criticize the fans, fans like, oh, no, you can't criticize me. I'm long-suffering, so I'm here to say that you guys did an outstanding job. Uh, The Mets have more home games, significantly more home games than road games the rest of the year. They're going to need more of that, and for an opposition, for an opposing player, for the opposition, Steven Strasburg, to point out about the fans and say, well, D.C. fans should be like that. Uh, it just shows you that it's being noticed by the players. And, uh, you know, this is something that's that's going to be a huge advantage in the Mets column as uh, you go down the stretch. So, uh, bad loss today in the sense where, you know, it's a game that you really would have liked to, you know, put a stamp on the week. As you heard Mickey Calloway say, though, the homestand was fantastic, 6-1. and one. Uh, so this loss notwithstanding, it doesn't ruin the week. It doesn't ruin the weekend. The Mets accomplished what they were set out to do. I had them, uh, you know, basically going to go 5-2, and two, and that would have put them in a nice spot going into the road trip. They did one better. And now uh, you've got to see how tough this team is. They went on a seven-game winning streak. Uh, they lost a game in Pittsburgh that Friday night, a game that they just did not play well, a game that they led. Maybe a game you sh- they maybe should have won. And then they came back, and like I said in prior podcasts, they won a game on Saturday that they never would have won earlier in the year, and and they started that into a winning streak and, and won another game. If you really think about it, the second game of the doubleheader that they had not, they would not have won earlier in the year. Uh, a couple of come from behind wins against the Nats, and these are two teams that are so evenly matched that I think a five game and it, probably, it won't happen. It won't be a five game series, but a five game series or a seven game series between these two teams might be a classic series. And anybody who who thinks that the Nats were wrong for not signing Bryce Harper, the Nats are as good offensively 
without Bryce Harper and maybe better with Soto. And I haven't heard anything at this point uh, about his injury, so maybe we'll get an update at some point in the podcast because that's a big you know blow if he's out any extended period of time. But um, you know, to give Harper 13 years, and yeah, I know that he'd probably be better fit in right field than Adam Eaton at times, but to, to dedicate those years and potentially lose Rendon, who I think is a better player than Harper as well in free agency, because I don't know if the Nats could have afforded both. Uh, Bryce Harper turning down the Nats, if it's true, $300 million offer was probably the luckiest thing that happened to the Nats in the last couple of years. And, and a team that's been a little snake bitten in the postseason, that might be the luckiest break that they've had, and they might be a better team for it. And, uh, you know, I remember all the complaining about the Mets and and not th- them, them not going after Bryce Harper. Well, Michael Conforto's just as good as Bryce Harper right now, this version of Bryce Harper. If you get the 2015 MVP Harper... Different story. Uh, he's better than both of those players, but it's been a long time since you saw that version of Harper. So it, that really stood out to me uh, throughout the weekend. Also, uh, you know, a couple of quick things here. Uh, the way the Mets are building their roster, bringing in guys like Joe Panic and Brad Brock, uh, guys who are local, uh, Freehold, New Jersey for Brock, Panic from Hope- Hopewell Junction, uh, St. John's graduate. Uh, you look up and down and because there's such a connection with this team and this city and these fans. And I know you're saying, well, Mike, just you know, eight weeks ago they were losing, and it's only because they're winning. And, and I understand that. But even when they were losing, this team throughout the year, and I kept saying this, they weren't far off. They were losing a lot of tough games, gut-punching games. And I think there might be a certain level of toughness that came from losing those games. And the margin of error, which went from – Nothing to now a little bit of breathing room, not much, a little bit of breathing room could only make this team stronger. And then I look at the roster, the 25 man roster, and if you count players that came up through the Mets system, through the minor leagues, and then players who have some sort of New York connection, i.e., Marcus Stroman from Medford, Long Island, or Brock from New Jersey, or Frazier from Tom's River. Uh, you know, guys like that panic in St. John's. 17 of the 25 guys on this roster either are grown through the Mets organization or come from this area and have a, a very good understanding of what this team and this city is all about. And I have to think that that's going to matter. And I know that's not statistically driven. I know that's completely anecdotal. And I know that there's some that think I'm completely crazy for bringing that up. But I really think that that matters a lot. And I'll tell you, uh, the manager, Mickey Calloway, who has been criticized mightily over the last couple of years, rightfully so, and again, he doesn't make the best moves all the time from a bullpen management standpoint, but nothing egregious, and he completely has foobarred some of his communication with the media. But I was reading Steve Serby's uh, article in the New York Post with uh, J.D. Davis, who has turned into, at least since June 4th, an elite offensive player, one of the four top offensive players in the National League out of the top 10, 15 players in the National League. He brought up about how Callaway, really the players like him and and they trust him and they want to win for him. And who knows? I mean, there's a lot of baseball left to play and we'll see. And there's a lot of time for this to go bad or for Mickey to potentially ruin uh, whatever goodwill he has built up. But uh, I really think that, um, you know, I'm starting to see that maybe Mickey Calloway has some good qualities. And maybe now 
we've been through a year and a half of garbage. You know, maybe now things are starting to come together, and, uh, and, and that's really good to see. But that's why going on to this road trip, I feel there's a toughness. You heard Pete Alonso in the open. They're going to try to move on. Next, uh, next man up, you've heard them tweet it. You've seen them tweet it. You've heard them talk about it. And, and, and now they go into Atlanta, a tough place to play, a plucky team, albeit a team that's had some bullpen issues, a team that um, is missing a couple of offensive pieces. So maybe they're not quite as plucky offensively as they were the last couple of times the Mets have faced them. And then you go to Kansas City, a bad team, but you're in their ballpark and it's a weekend series. And these bad teams, you know what, a bounce here, a bounce there, a bad starting outing, and, and, and away you go. You could you could have yourself a ball game. These are big league clubs. You can't take any of them for granted. The recipe remains the same. Like I said uh, the last podcast uh, during the Marlins series, Mets got to get seven innings from their starter. They got to navigate those last six outs from the bullpen. You did not get the seven innings. Uh, DeGrom, uh, you know, basically this game was was lost probably on that throw in the first inning because if DeGrom makes that play and the Mets jump out to a 3 nothing lead, uh, you know, you probably get another inning out of DeGrom and, and the bullpen set up completely differently, and who knows uh, how this goes. You know, you don't have a crystal ball, but you have to feel that that play in the first inning when DeGrom dropped the ball, even though that I believe that turned out to be an error on Alonzo. Uh, that was really an error on DeGrom. A tough play, but a play that should have been made. Now, you're probably saying, well, Mike, you know, who knows with the way Edwin Diaz is pitching, and, and I understand that. And uh, you'll hear from Mickey uh, after the break. And, and Mickey's not going to be doing anything drastic uh, to take Diaz out of these high-leverage situations. But he's got to be careful here because uh, nothing can ruin a team's mojo and good karma than bullpen implosions. And that's been the issue that this team has had all year. That's why this team is not better right now than what it should be. I mean, really, with some decent average bullpen work like they've been getting over the last two weeks or maybe a little bit longer since the All-Star break, this team might be in first place in the National League East, and we're having a completely different conversation about this series in Atlanta. Uh, I think at this point, it's going to be interesting to see how he handles the bullpen. Lugo, again, my issue with Lugo is not that he's not an elite reliever. He is. You have to be very careful with his utilization. He has a partially torn ligament in his elbow that could go at any time. I don't know if that's why they're using him the way they're using him. Or is he the kind of guy that, you know, really gives it all out? And I don't remember him being this way last year. I remember them being able to go to him more consistently. But maybe they learned something or he communicated something about his body where he, you know, to be at his peak, he needs a little bit of rest. It looks like back-to-back is a problem. At the very least, back-to-back after two innings is a problem. So this makes Mickey Calloway's job even that much harder with the bullpen. And then... With Diaz, you know, how do you rebuild this guy? Uh, he hasn't been able to command, and I keep going back to, I, I talked to a, a, a buddy who's a scout who knows Diaz very well, and he's like, look, this guy, when his mechanics are off, it takes him some time to get it back. Well, here we are, middle of August, he hasn't gotten it back. He's shown flashes, and maybe he falls in love with that slider a little too much. Maybe that's part of it. We saw Phil Regan talking to him in the dugout after he gave up the home run to Robles. But the Mets need this guy, and Callaway's going to continue to go to him. Now, what I would do, um, you know, Familia's a little bit better now. Familia's hot. Uh, you know, has, he, he talked about how he worked with Ricky Bonas, and maybe he's getting his arm slot back to where it needs to be. Seems like he got out of whack. Uh, the mechanics all over the place here with uh, these guys in the bullpen. Uh, you know, maybe this is a chance where you move Familia up a little bit and you move Diaz down. Maybe Diaz needs, like, 
a seventh inning in a game where they're up two or three runs where psychologically he's not going to do a ton of damage because you could yank him right then and there. And even if he gives up a run, there's still plenty of baseball left. Maybe he needs something like that. I mean, look, they've demoted Familia to the point where he was in fifth, sixth inning work uh, at, at certain times. Uh, you know, I know they want to be careful with him, and I said on the last podcast you need to be careful with this guy because you could tell that there's some sensitivity to him. And, and I guess the real question is, and we haven't gotten an answer and we won't get that from Callaway or anybody with the team, at least publicly or on the record, is he built for the pennant race? Is he built for New York? And we'll find out because a bad Edwin Diaz makes this extremely hard. Look, we talked about Mets math. It was 31 wins as of Thursday before the weekend began. They got two wins. They're down to 29. I believe 90 wins is what this team needs to shoot for to guarantee that they're going to be in the postseason uh, for a play-in game. And uh, that's not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be an easy task at all. Now, realistically, uh, you know, that's going to take uh, 29 wins. It's going to take them only losing 15 times. And they got some tough series at home. And they got some tough series on the road coming up. And uh, even with the 10th man, you, the fans, with the home field advantage, teams like the Dodgers and the Cubs, uh, they're not going to be easy when they come to town. Uh, So uh, they're going to need Diaz. And and even with that seven innings of work from the starting rotation, six outs is still a ton of outs to get against some of these teams. And uh, even on a a good day, you know, there are some guys in this Mets bullpen that are long ball prone. Uh, There are guys in this Mets bullpen that are, uh, you know, potentially, uh, uh, you know, guys who walk the ballpark. So uh, ultimately, uh, they're going to need Edwin Diaz. So I'm going to trust Mickey Calloway. They, they, They committed to him back when they could have fired him, back when they could have just, you know, given up on him and put someone like Riggleman or or maybe Louis Rojas, something to uh, spark the team and maybe get an interim. They went with him. That was the right move. He believes keeping uh, Diaz in high-leverage situations is the right thing. He might fall on his sword with this. And, and look, they traded their best prospect for a guy they thought was the best closer in the game. And he clearly has outstanding stuff, even in a bad year. It's the strikeout rate is tremendous. Um, there's something just a little bit off, and I don't know if it's mechanics. I don't know if it's New York. I don't know if it's confidence. I don't know if it's a combination of all three, but we're going to find out because we're in the deep end of the pool, and the Mets are going to need Edwin Diaz, and they've had so many gut-wrenching, gut-punching losses to date. They just can't afford too many more, especially as we get into the nitty-gritty, as the calendar is about to turn in a couple of weeks to September. That's when those gut-punching losses that you you feel in May and June and in July, but you really feel it in late August, and you really feel it in September. So I guess we'll see. We're going to talk about this and more as our buddy Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, at Catino9 on Twitter, will join me in just a couple of minutes. We'll get his take. He was there at City Field talking to the players. He heard the crowd. He heard the great job you guys did. Let's see what he thinks about that and some of the other topics that I brought up here in the opening. So let's take a quick break. When we return, Rich Catino, ESPN, 98.7, will join me. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The, the way uh, we're set up that uh, we really can't afford to do that. So, um, you know, he's going to continue to get big outs for us, um, continue to pitch in big games. And, uh, and like we did last night, we'll pick our spots and, and, do, and do the best we can um, to, to win a game every single night. The, the way uh, we're set
We're back and uh, joining us, Rich Catino, 9870s ESPN, at Catino9 on Twitter. And who better to give us the perspective from City Field? He was there this weekend. Probably three of the best ball games, like I said, in the open that we've had in, in, in a couple of years. And uh, a great way to end the homestand and, and away you go. And Rich, uh, I start out with this, and I want to get your take. Uh, I said in the open, the first thing I said is that the Mets beat the Nationals on this homestand at two out of three. They were 6-1 and one on the homestand. But to me, the big story is the Mets fans. And I don't often go into that because they could be tough to take sometimes. Mets fans are emotional. Sometimes they get a little crazy. But they created such an atmosphere at City Field. You could hear it on TV. You were there. Steven Strasburg even commented on it. They were truly the 10th man. And I think they had a lot to do with the success of this team. And it seems since the doubleheader sweep, that the fans have kicked it into another level. And hopefully this is something that we'll see throughout the rest of the season and into potentially the playoffs. I do, and I think it all started in that doubleheader with the Marlins when in the nightcap the Mets had that home run barrage to give them a win. And it really took place the entire weekend. And it wasn't just when the Mets were batting or the Mets were rallying. It was from the first pitch of the game. It was booing umpires calls on a ball or a strike that was a borderline call that didn't go the Mets' way. It was booing, throwing over too many times to check Met base runners from Nationals pitchers. It was a bunch of things, and it was great to see because I think that, you know, it's the first time we've seen that since 2016 in the late stages of that season when the Mets were battling to get that home field in the wild card. And I think that um, it was great to see. It uh, would have been nice if the Mets would have, you know, for their fans, given them a sweep today. It wasn't in the cards. But I do think that this is a team that uh, not only has the Met fans' eyes, but I think has the baseball world's eyes looking at them in terms of how they turn this around. And they're in a race now for that wild card. There's no question about it. Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN, joining us. He's given us the perspective he was there at city field all weekend uh one of the best in the business over there loves to come by and and chat with us as we try to bridge the gap between the media and the fans here on the program uh rich this team has a connection and you could see it with the fans we saw it in in 2015 uh but i have to tell you it seems a little bit different this year whether it be dom smith there turning around throughout the game trying to get the fans going you know michael conforto i know that it's cliche but he you know, seem to really want to credit the fans after the walk-off hit on Friday. And I'm thinking about it, and I'm saying to myself, why is that? Why is this team? And, and then I did something. I broke down something mathematically, and I'm curious your thoughts on it. 17 of the 25 players on this roster either came up through the Mets system or are from the area, like Todd Frazier from Tom's River or Marcus Stroman from Medford. Uh, now you have Brad Brock and, and Joe Panic, who are local guys, whether it be from Hopewell Junction with Panic or uh, New Jersey, Freehold, New Jersey with Brock. And, and I think that makes a difference. Growing up through the organization, you bleed orange and blue. This is your hometown team, even if you're from somewhere else. Uh, you're an import, but you're from the area. You get it. You get what this is all about. And I don't know if that was purposely done with the Brock and Panic moves by uh, Brody Van Wagenen, but I have to think that plays into it, and I have to think that that gives the Mets as much as the stat guys are going to go crazy when I say this, it's going to give the Mets somewhat of an advantage as we go down the stretch. 
No question. And I put Stroman on that list too as well. And, you know, I think that, you know, you have to be a New Yorker to understand how sports are viewed in New York and they're viewed differently than in any other marketplace in the country. And when you've grown up here, you understand that. And if you've grown up in the Met organization, you understand it too. And I, and the other thing I think that is kind of similar to the 16 team is you have players fighting for positions, fighting, you know, for playing time on this team. Yet the guy they're fighting with, they're supporting. And, and I think the best example of that I have all year since spring training is Pete Alonzo and Dominic Smith, who, you know, both of them were first basemen. Now Dominic had to learn another position, but each of them supported each other. And that speaks not only to those two individuals, it speaks to the setting that Mickey Calloway and the coaching staff and Brody Van Wagenen have put together at City Field. And I think that it's um, going to help them down the stretch as well, just like in 2015, Michael Conforto was taking playing time away from Michael Kadire, but Kadire helped him on every turn. Um, Wilmer Flores, you know, was battling for playing time with a bun- in a bunch of different positions on the team. David Wright helped him, and Ruben Tejada helped him, and a bunch of other people helped him. So I see a lot of similarities with that. And the other similarity I see with this team is much like the 15 and 16 team did for Terry Collins, they will go through a wall for Mickey Calloway. And I think that cannot be understated either. Phil Regan's import into this pitching staff, they're throwing a lot more first-pitch strikes, but they're also spending a lot more time planning and game planning for individual games rather than the concept of their entire talent base. And I think that that's another thing that the Mets put together during the season, and I think it's worked out very well. And we haven't seen an, Im- an improvement yet really in Diaz, but we're starting to see a little bit from Familia, and I think it's a lot of what they've been working on with him from a pitching coach perspective. I expect Familia to have a good end to the season uh, because I think he's really working hard at tweaking some things that needed tweaking. And you know what? Again, I know it's going to be one of those things that comes down to the wire at the end of the year, and it could be as much politics as anything. But uh, Mickey Calloway, who I said, if you don't have a long-term replacement, you can't fire him this year. You give him the year. And guess what? We're giving him the year, and you're starting to see some things that you may like. And J.D. Davis did an interview with Steve Serby of the New York Post earlier today, and there's a couple of interesting nuggets in it. And one of them was about uh, Mickey, and, they, and Survey asked him, well, what do the guys think about Mickey? And they talk about how they love him, and, and, and I think guys absolutely love playing for him. He's got great energy. I haven't heard or felt any disconnection with him or anything like that or guys getting pissed off at him. I don't know if anybody would answer that question negatively, but I can tell you this, Rich, and you're around the players a lot. If they don't like somebody, they may give him a tepid vote of, in, uh, of endorsement but they don't get into kind of what I think J.D. Davis did in that answer to Steve Serbia, the Post. I, I, no question. And um, if you want to talk to someone that really understand, understands the, the value of Mickey Callaway, talk to Dominic Smith. Dominic Smith is a guy that, that you know, didn't have playing time. He had a great spring training, and Mickey said, make it hard on me to make this decision. He ended up playing some outfield. He ended up having a good season. He ended up getting hurt which kind of curtailed everything that he was accomplishing this year. But um, that's an example of a player who didn't have a spot on the roster that Mickey said, work hard and I'll find room for you, and he did. And I think that only speaks volumes in Dominic Smith's mind, but other players see that, Mike, and they look at it and they say, 
I'm going to be, you know, playing time is going to be given to me, and I'm going to earn it. But I think I can go out there and 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 get big spots on this team. He's done it with Luis Avalon. He's done it with Justin Wilson. He's done it with J.D. Davis. Um, and that's something that I definitely saw Terry Collins do in his tenure, and I'm seeing that Mickey Calloway does it. And when you talk to players that are fighting for playing time, they all tell you that Mickey's honest with them, and he rewards them if they play well. And I think that's something that permeates through that clubhouse as knowing that you have to earn your playing time, but you can earn your playing time at the same time. And I think it's a very important message to players. And he talks about the team with the, not only the talent, but the camaraderie. This is what J.D. Davis said to Serby, how they go out to eat with each other. If it's on the road or at home, they care about playing the game the right way. Uh, and look, it's easy to say all these things when they're on this streak that ended today, 15 to 16, and what are they, 20 and 7 since the All-Star break. But they were playing pretty well at times. They were losing in different small ways. And you felt, and I think you've been one that has said it, you know, if they could just get that gear going, this isn't a bad team. We've both been saying it. And I always hear Keith Hernandez on the broadcast talk about how, and it was more with the 06 team, I remember, how that was a team that, you know, really was tight-knit. They, they talked baseball. They had got veterans like Julio Franco in there, Carlos Delgado, Paul LaDuca, you know, so on and so forth, Tom Glavin, Pedro. And I remember him always talking about how he felt that that was a difference maker. And when you're in a wild card race with Milwaukee and St. Louis and Washington and Philadelphia, statistically there's so many ways you can break these teams down, but they're very they're pretty much all the same. They have warts in certain areas and strengths in others. So what I think is, is this sustainable? Can the Mets take after this loss and go on the road and be sustainable? And these are the kind of little things that I'm looking at as being the difference maker. I know this again, it could be corny and maybe in a week from now, it doesn't matter if they go on the road and play poorly, but uh, I feel like they've turned a corner. And I think these are small things that are, are part of it. Well, and think about what went on this weekend. The Mets had three starting pitchers take the mound. And I don't think any one of the three of them had their best stuff, had their best pitching going for them. Yet the Mets found a way to win two games. And today they were right, right within striking distance of the game because they pick each other up because when the starting pitcher pitcher isn't good enough then maybe someone in the bullpen comes in and does the job maybe the Mets do more hitting when the hitting is having trouble with another pitcher the starting pitcher gives them seven innings two runs or less and I think that you know the best way I could describe it is that much unlike Odell Beckham of the Giants Everyone in that room is concerned most about the W column more than their individual accolades. And I could say that about just about everyone in that room. And that's the thing that winning teams do, I mean, and winning businesses do. I always talk about, you know, you have to care about your teammates as much as you do about yourself. Nobody cares more about their teammates than themselves. No one's that selfless. But the people that care that want their teammates or their colleagues in a business setting to succeed, they're the businesses that, and they're the teams that win. Um, there's no secret. It, it, it's a, it's a, it's a camaraderie that is there because the bottom line is at the end of the day, do we get a W or an L? And I can tell you this, that there are players in that room that would rather go 0 for 3 and get a win than go 2 for 5, with 5 RBIs and get a loss. And, I can say that, but just about everyone in that room. And I think that they've put together people that 
understand that. The coaches and Mickey Callaway have taken that, and they brought that aspect in the first meeting they had with spring training. They talked about that directly, the first thing. And Pete Alonso talks to me about that meeting and, and McNeil all the time about how playing time would be rewarded. We're all in this together, and we don't cast aspersions on each other. We support each other. And the equation is let's get as many wins as we can. And I think finally after the All-Star break, Mike, it was going to come that way But uh, in terms of the wins. But I think that feeling of togetherness was always there even when they were losing. Uh, and Rich Catino is with us, 98.7 ESPN. And here's about the offense. And I keep going back to J.D. Davis here, mainly because he was such a big part of the weekend. But I'm throwing him now into the equation. He's playing, you know, not a great left field, but he's passable out there. And they needed that with Dom Smith out, who was, you know, the guy that many thought would be the everyday left fielder uh, because of how well he was hitting. But offensively, they have four of the top 15 offensive players. If you count J.D. Davis, uh, and you rank them by OPS Plus this year, uh, guys in their prime, uh, J.D. Davis, I mean, early prime for uh, Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, and Michael Conforto. And if you uh, look across the diamonds, uh, you got Juan Soto who had a great series for the Nats, and it looks like he only missed a couple of days with a sprained ankle, so that's good for the Nats. Um, no Bryce Harper in there. No, you know, all these, uh, you know, uh, guys. I mean, I'm even look on here. You know, Manny Machado's not on this list. So everybody was pining for the 10, 12, 13 year contract guys. Uh, maybe the Mets, right under their nose, have guys that they need. And if you, if JD Davis can be an elite hitter playing left field, even if he's not a great defensive player, changes the dynamic of this offense. And it's not just then at that point about the pitching, because that's the foundation. It's about these elite core of young hitters that can can really do some damage here for this team. Uh, in the absence of Robinson Cano, even bigger than it would have normally been. And I can throw a fifth hitter in there, Wilson Ramos, who has more RBIs than any other catcher in the major leagues. And, the offense, to me, has done what it has to do and probably done even more than I thought they would do. Um, defensively, they've improved in the second half. I thought in the first half that they were, at best, a mediocre defensive team. I think they're now an above-average defensive team. I think Rosario has improved his defense. I think whoever they have playing second base is a good partner for Rosario, whether it be McNeil, whether it be you know uh, Panic, whoever it is there. I think Frazier's solid defensively at third. I think the outfield, the problem is you got outfielders all playing positions that they're not usually playing. Conforto made a great catch today. I think he's a very athletic player, and I think he'll get better as center fielder as it goes. Um, but you have McNeil playing right. You have J.D. Davis playing left. That, you know, I do think the defense has improved, and I think that's another big reason why they're winning games because they're not giving teams four or five outs. Now, today is a bad example because in the very first inning, three on runs scored, and that got the Mets off to a bad start. But for the most part, the Mets have been scoring first, not the other team scoring first. And I think that's the other thing with their starting pitching. That really puts the pressure on the opposition. Mets have a one 2 nothing lead in the first two, three innings of the game. You're like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to get back in this game with DeGrom on the mound or with Syndergaard on the mound or with Mats or with Wheeler or with Stroman on the mound? And I think that's what's going to put the Mets over the top in this wild card race that they have a more balanced roster than most teams do, and they have the great starting pitching that can take the take the bell and run with it 
on the days when they're maybe they're not hitting as well or the days that their bullpen isn't fully rested. They can go seven or eight innings, and I think that's going to be the difference between the Mets and the other teams in this wild card hunt. By the way, you can check out Rich on Twitter at Catino9, also his book, Press Box Revolution, and he's got a book about the 69 Mets coming out. I know you guys have heard a lot about the 69 Mets, but that should be coming out, I believe, next spring. Uh, wouldn't be a, a segment if we didn't do uh, something about the storm clouds, and it's been so good for so long that uh, you know I don't think there's been a lot of bad to talk about, but uh, Edwin Diaz was the topic of conversation. Another rough outing, and I'm not even sure – uh, it does change, obviously, the dynamic being down by one run and Doolittle coming in and he not having that cushion uh, might have changed the outcome. But, uh, you know, Diaz has struggled. Uh, there are some that even have suggested can they send him down to the minors, which they can. He does have options. Uh, Mickey pretty much uh, poo-pooed that as Diaz being thrown into lower leverage situations. Now, Lugo has been fantastic, even with the Soto home run. I mean, that's just a great player beating you. But he can't go – two innings every game, and I don't know if he could go one inning back-to-back. Familiars look better. You know, Wilson is Wilson. Uh, Gazelman's Gazelman. These are average guys that uh, if you don't go seven innings with a starter, it becomes a much different game like you saw today. Diaz is the guy that you almost feel like if you don't have something out of him, even if you can't go to him in the sixth, seventh, eighth inning to get some quality outs, um, you know, it creates a very big problem for this team because you just can't burn Lugo out. Unless Brad Brock is going to all of a sudden discover his 2016 form, they need Diaz. Do you agree with Mickey and what he said in the post game, which I'm sure that uh, you were there for? Um, Diaz should stay in these high leverage situations. Do you think maybe he should put him in a seventh or eighth inning, like he started to do with Familia, and within the course of a very short period of time, and uh, build him back up, make Lugo the closer? I think right now Lugo's got to get the ball first before Diaz, um, but it doesn't sound like that might happen. It doesn't, and I, I, I know what Mickey's going for him, but I, I respectfully disagree with him a little bit. I think Lugo has earned the right to close, and I, I would try to put Diaz in lower leverage situations. Now, the reason that I think Mickey doesn't want to do that, and I don't agree with it, but it's a reasonable, it's an understandable point of view, is if I take this guy out of the closer role, I may lose him forever, and I, for meaning the rest of the season. I think you anointed him as the closer, and Mickey feels you got to go go with him in that because the only way you're going to win is if he becomes your closer, so that everyone else is in roles that are they're good in the bullpen for. Now, it's going to be if he keeps giving up homers and pitching poorly, it's going to really test how much patience Mickey's going to have. But right now, Mickey has the patience to leave him in those high leverage situations. I might think about doing something different than that. I may think about not only putting him not in the eighth inning, making Diaz pitch the seventh inning, putting Familia in the eighth and Lugo in the ninth, and just trying it to see if it's something that helps Diaz get back to where he needs to be. I think the problem with Diaz is from the neck above. I don't think it's his stuff. I think that, you know, it is his pitch selection is somewhat a problem. Um his pitch execution is somewhat a problem. His fastball was electric today, even in a, in the performance he had. He he throws that slider and he hangs it too much. He makes it hittable, and it's not always a hanging slider. Sometimes the one that rolls into the strike zone, and I think he wants to establish that slider as soon as he comes in the game. And I've said this to you a million times. I don't agree with that. Set up, 
you know, set the fastball first, make that late movement fastball first, because then the slider could look like that and have a total other framework in that it goes down in the strike zone, or even it goes or comes across high and then into the strike zone for a called strike. But if you're starting trying to establish the slider, it's kind of like a pitcher throwing a first pitch changeup, Mike. What are you changing up? And I think the mindset, if I, was, if I was coaching Diaz, I would tell him, I want your first seven pitches of every, of every, of every appearance to be fastballs. Now, I may want to try a four-seamer as opposed to a two-seamer. I may want to try something high in the strike zone as opposed to low executing so that the eye level changes. But I don't want you touching that slider to the eighth pitch of your, performance, of, of your, of your, of your appearance. I just think he, he wants to establish that slider so much, and it debilitates his performance because, to me, his fastball is still his best pitch. Yeah, it's, it's, he's a conundrum, and I agree with you. You know, the more you think about it, you know, perhaps this is all about New York and being mental. I know Phil Regan pulled him aside in the dugout after that inning. Guy throws 98. Guy's got electric stuff, uh, location, and I don't know if it's the ball or what have you, but I guess we'll find out. And, and the thing here is this. I feel for the guy because this is critical. If he turns out to be the guy, and they've had so many gut-punching, blown bullpen losses, and they're big, bullpen blown losses, and I don't, today is not one of those. But bullpen, bullpen blown losses that happen in late August and September are even worse. I mean, if anybody who watched 2007, 2008, those collapses to the Phillies knows that better than anybody. Um, and you don't want Diaz to be the reason why this team finishes game or two games out of the wild card because it's something that may never make him recover from his New York career. We don't know if he'll be back next year anyway, even if he pitches well. But you know, certainly uh, at this time of the year, this is critical. It's a very fine line. And look, Rich, it ultimately could cost Mickey his job. He, he may be the difference between playoffs, no playoffs, and Mickey's job. I know that that's kind of black and white, and I hate making things like that. But let's face it, you know, eighth inning, ninth inning, Mets ahead, they're going to have leads as we go down the stretch. It's going to come down to those last six outs. These starters should, for the most part, the recipe is starters seven innings. They didn't get it today, but starters seven innings, six outs from the bullpen, and this bullpen can navigate six outs. More than that, it gets tricky, but this bullpen can navigate six outs. So it's going to come down a lot of times to Diaz uh, or Lugo, and, and Diaz is going to be a big part of this. No question, and I think it's it's going to tell a lot about where the Mets finish up, but I think Mickey's thinking – I can't win without Diaz, so I can't bury him in being a mop-up man. I've got to stay with it, and that's what he's doing. And I think to a certain extent, he's doing it with a Familia, and we're starting to see the last few appearances. Familia's been better. Now, whether that's going to hold true for for the rest of the season, that's why we play the games. But in Familia today, I saw his slider and his, his, um, you know, fastball sinking. And those are things that always show me that he's going to have a good performance. And he struck out the side in his one inning today against a good hitting team. So I do think that, um, you know, Mickey looks at that and says, well, if if Familia's found his stuff, then why can't Diaz? So I think he's going to stick with Diaz in this situation. And one thing I've learned about Mickey, if it's something he really believes that will work, he doesn't care what the criticism around him is going to be. He's still going to do it. So I don't think – the criticism is going to 
predicate him changing his mind on it as much as it would be as we get towards September if he really thinks his best chance to get it into a playoff spot is to have a different closer other than Edwin Diaz. Big road trip coming up, Rich. I know you'll be on 98.7 ESPN. Anything else you got coming up this week? Obviously, you'll be watching the games from afar, and then the Mets will be back for another big uh, homestand the following week. But uh, now it's an itty-gritty. Can't uh, take a step back. So what do you got coming out uh, over the next week or so? Well, definitely you're going to be following us. I'm not on this road trip, but then they're coming home for a homestand, I believe, against the Indians, Braves, and Cubs, which, you know, they're all three high-level teams, you know, helps that they're playing the Indians at City Field, that the Indians lose a designated hitter out of their lineup, but I do think it will be a tough set. And I, and, and I don't want to dismiss this Kansas City series this coming weekend, too, because they're going to be up for the Braves, and whether they win the series or not, you don't want them to take a step back and take anything for granted in Kansas City. So I think it's important for them to approach those games with the same fervor that they've been approaching stuff. And I do think that it is important for the Mets to take two out of three in Atlanta because, listen, I think the division, there's seven back in the loss column at this point. I still think that that's a tremendous amount. It might, actually, it might be eight in the loss column. I may have that wrong. I think it is eight in the loss column. And I think that, you know, the division's still a very remote possibility. Um, sweeping in Atlanta would be great. But you need to take two out of three just so you can keep that as a remote possibility, the division. But you also want to keep winning games. And, listen, the winning streak's over. We saw when their last winning streak ended, they went on another streak. I'm not saying that's going to happen again. But I am saying that you have to follow it up with winning series. If you keep winning series, if you can be 4-2 and two on this road trip, you come home for this big homestand, and you're, you're still staying far away from the 500 mark as much as possible. And, um... One of the things Mickey said all year is he's been on teams when they got to 500. They use that as a springboard to get to 10 over 500 really quickly. It will be nice to see the Mets get to 10 over 500 by the end of the, the homestand, the tough homestand they have. If they're there, 10 over 500, by the time they finish that homestand with the three tough teams, then I think they're definitely going to be a playoff team. So that's something to watch for as well. Rich, as always, appreciate the time. You're always generous with it. We'll catch up again. I know we'll talk before the year is out. Keep up the good work, my friend. Always a a good time here. And great talking to you on your podcast. You have a tremendous amount of loyal listeners, and they're loyal because you're loyal to them, and that says a lot about you too, Mike. Thanks, Rich. Be well. That's uh, Rich Catino, 98.7 ESPN. Kind words from Rich. I always uh, appreciate that. Look, uh, great opportunity to go four and two on this trip uh, with Kansas City. Can't sleep on Kansas City, but if you look at the road trips, and the Mets are going to probably need about ten or eleven wins, I think, to get to that ninety mark on the road. Uh, four wins this week would go a long way uh, towards achieving that if they could take four out of six on this road trip, and it would silence a lot of the critics who still feel that the Mets maybe have, and they certainly have benefited from a softer schedule, but they played uh, one of the uh, better teams in the National League toe-to-toe this weekend and very easily could have swept them with some good defense. Anyway, let's take a quick break. When we return, final thoughts. want to talk about uh, uh, reviews and, and some of the kind words you guys have given me on the Apple podcast and just wrap up and uh, before we roll the credits, give you a thank you. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Here, I'm looking at uh, looking at Hudson getting ready for my bat, and so I was watching on TV and, uh, off the bat, and I just ran into the dugout and screaming. So, uh, no, it was awesome um, just for him to come through in that at bat. 
Uh, his first home run is absolutely huge. Um, it's been pretty amazing how this team uh, in this run, there's been a lot of guys where um, the least expected that come through. And just like Louie right now, or tonight, it's, it was a huge at bat, you know, it's a pinch hit. Um, you know, I, I think the count was 3-2 off Rodney and he just didn't miss. And it was awesome for him to get his first home run in that situation. All right, final thoughts. Uh, Rich Catino, good stuff. Of course, you could check him out all the time on ESPN 98.7 at Catino9 on Twitter. Hey, I just wanted to ask you guys before I uh, roll the credits here that uh, first I want to thank everybody. Uh, tons of reviews have been coming in over the last couple of weeks on Apple Podcasts and some really great stuff. And I just wanted to thank you again for the kind words, the kind words on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Uh, really trying to put this podcast up there amongst the, and I don't think there's a ton of Mets podcasts. I know there's more than I even know about, um, but the, you know the ones that matter, the guys that the big guys, the guys with the names. I, I really think this product, what I'm trying to do here, is put it right up against them. And I'm not trying to be a fan or trying to be a homer. I'm just trying to bridge the gap between the fans, the media, having had a little foot in both ends, and uh, and have some fun here. So. I appreciate everything. If you haven't had a chance to go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, just as long as it's sincere. I'm not begging for reviews here. It does help the show get visibility when people are searching for it because this is a big world, the Internet. And, um, you know, anytime you uh, you try to get some kind of notoriety or visibility, it's hard. There's a lot of messages being thrown at everybody. So if you can do that, I'd greatly appreciate it. Go to TalkingMetsPodcast.com. It'll bring you to the Apple Podcast. That's TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G. Of course, you could send me a note. Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. I do appreciate that. Of course, I want to thank Rich Catino again for joining us here tonight. I want to thank you for listening. You can check out the show all the time at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you get the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy the road trip. We'll be back with another edition of the Talking Mets podcast next Sunday. We'll be wrapping up, hopefully, a, a big road trip with a lot of Mets wins at that point. Till then, take care, everybody. Enjoy the games.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.